Hey guys, this is Neil Crawford with another edition of the Inside Scoop. For those of you who are not familiar with the Inside Scoop, the Inside Scoop is a podcast brought to you by Anytime Soccer Training that's dedicated to helping parents uh, learn about the soccer pathways from around the world. And today we have an exciting show. We're interviewing a guest all the way from Kapala, Uganda. So again, the Inside Scoop is a podcast where we go and talk to folks who live in those particular cities and learn the ins and outs about the soccer pathways where they live as if our child was moving there. And it's brought to you by Anytime Soccer Training. So before we jump into the show, let me remind our listeners what Anytime Soccer Training is about. It's a website that we're launching this summer that will host over 1,000 follow along training videos covering all the major areas of individual skill development for your to help your child get better and improve. The short version is this, as a parent, I knew nothing about soccer, but I wanted to help my child get better and I didn't know where to start. And I also wanted a comprehensive uh, curriculum that was 100% follow along that removed me from the equation. And it needed to be step by step so that even my itty bitty U6 player could use it, and my U16 or U17 players could use it. I couldn't find anything that was laid out quite like Anytime Soccer Training, and so that's why we created the product. So if you want to test it out, go to www.anytime-soccer.com, and you can collect over 50 free ball mastery and juggling videos. Now on to the show. We have an exciting one lined up. The, the pre-interview was so exciting that uh, I just couldn't wait to hit the record button. I am here with Emmy Grace. And Emmy Grace is joining us from Kampala. And he's in a, he has an amazing story and he's an amazing individual because not only does, does he coach, but he founded a nonprofit called the Divine Athletic Sports Academy. And they focus on helping children uh, uh, play the game they love, um, who cannot afford the fees to do so. And for my American and Western listeners, we may think he's, we're just talking about the fees to play, to join a team. No, 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 no. We're talking about everything from the kit, the shoes, the balls, the gloves, every transportation. He tries his best to make sure there are zero barriers to entry to play this wonderful game. And when I think about youth soccer, that is the spirit that it's supposed to be about, right? Um, yes, folks need to get paid. Yes, our coaches deserve to get paid. But at the end of the day, if we're not using sport to transform the lives of the young people around us, I feel like we missed the plot. So thank you, thank you, Emmy, for all that you do. Welcome to the Inside Scoop. I look forward to talking to you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Um, it's a pleasure for me to be here. Thank you, Emmy. So, Emmy, tell us where you're at. Tell us a little bit about your organization. And then let's jump right into the show. Okay. Uh, my full name is uh, Emmy Grace Sache. Um, I'm a youth coach. 
I'm holding a calf C license. Uh, by this time, I'll be having a calf B, but the calf licenses were suspended because there are some things that are not right with the way they are being they were being handled. So, uh, my organization, like you have told the listeners, it is Divine Athletic Sports Academy from Kampala, Uganda. Uh, an organization that I started in 2015 with kids on a dusty ground, a dusty playground. I mean, literally, it was somebody's piece of land that we started to, where we started training from. Uh, recently, when I passed there, I can even see a fence. But I thank God that we are, even, if, even when it was very difficult, we managed to go to a school pitch, uh, which at times is hard for me to, you know, to cover the cost. But because I don't want to be operating on the level where we started from, I want these kids to be going on to another level. Uh, then I dig myself out to, to see that these kids get what they deserve, even though they, they don't have the resources, they don't have the funds. Uh, so basically, that's my organization. That's how I do it. I'm happy. I have some friends in America who are supporting us with the use the stuff, we use the equipment, the balls, the cleats, uh, the uniforms, the used uniforms. So I mean, I'm so glad that the project is moving well. Yeah, so so let me help our listeners understand this. You started this, and when we talk about grassroots, this is literally grassroots. And you've made connections with some of my friends and anytime soccer training is going to be happy to also support you uh, financially. And then we have some other ideas that we've been bouncing around and we're in the show notes. We're going to leave a link where people can contact you because we've had organizations send use uh, boots or cleats and use jerseys as well as make uh, modest financial contributions which are modest to us, but they make a huge difference to the, uh, to your organization. And so we talked about that as well. And I want to, I want to foster this relationship um, as much as I can, especially if I can use this very small platform I have to do so. So Emmy, let's jump into the show. So the way it, the way it typically works and, and my regular listeners will understand this and, and know this but I'm going to uh, tee this up for you as a, uh, so that you can answer the questions in the best way that you can. I typically give a quick and dirty overview of U.S. soccer or soccer pathways available in the U.S. for our children. And then yeah. I ask you to juxtapose what I've just said to how it works there. And the one thing I probe my guests and you'll see is, we want to get deep into the details. We want our listeners to be able to visualize what you're saying. So we want to get really into detail. So let's go with the U.S. Now, having said that, I'm going to gloss over a lot because I've spoken about the U.S. system quite a few times in previous shows, but here we go. If you move to the U.S. and you wanted your 10-year-old, 11-year-old child to play soccer, the first thing I'm going to tell you is, get your wallet ready, you're going to pay. Because the U.S. is governed under a sort of pay-to-play system, market-based system, where soccer is funded by the parents, okay? 
Then there are four or five major entry points into playing uh, youth soccer in America. And what I'm learning throughout the show is our um, structures are a lot more rigid and clearly defined than other parts of the world. So if you are a beginner player or you're not that serious about youth soccer, you just want to have fun, then that's your recreational program with mom and dad coaches. Then if you are a little bit more than wreck, but you're not, you don't want to commit, you're not competitive enough to commit to anything really hardcore, then that is your, um, what we call your challenge leagues. Now challenge, you may play, you play two seasons, but it's not completely year round as year round is commonly understood. It's not like a 10 month uh, program. So these kids normally do other activities as well, but they have a little bit more um, competitiveness when it comes to soccer. That when you're still having a parent who will likely coach, but that parent will either be licensed or they may get support from a licensed coach. And then you have travel soccer and travel soccer means something different uh, depending on the age. But in general, that's the pipeline to go to a, a club's top team or their academy, which eventually is the, is the pipeline to potentially go pro or make college. So those are the three entry points that are hosted by, that are created by uh, clubs, okay? Those recreational programs can be hosted by um, and put on by municipalities or religious organizations or some nonprofits or franchises. But in general, that's the club. Now, when your child gets old enough to be in middle school, which is about 12 years old, they, have, they can play for their school. Now, school soccer for us has a totally different connotation than what I'm hearing school soccer has in some parts of the world. School soccer for us is your school uh, organizes a team. Normally the coach is a member of the staff already. Sometimes they bring in a coach just to coach soccer, but normally it's a teacher who, or PE teacher or teacher who then coaches the team. And that team plays other uh, schools around the area. And they then have their own playoffs and state championships within the school. School teams are not, in general, are not considered to be as competitive or uh, attract the most talented kids because typically they're not year round. Uh, but that is a great opportunity for kids to play and not pay as much money as club because our club programs can cost anywhere between a uh, thousand to 2,500 us dollars. Okay. So, and then there is within all that, there are clubs that are sanctioned by us soccer or us club soccer not going to go into that, but just understand that they're sanctioned by these larger governing body bodies. And then there are a few clubs that folks started a nonprofit. Let's say you wanted to come here and you wanted to start Divine Athletic here in America. You could create a nonprofit, create a soccer club. You could play other teams, but you wouldn't be, you'd be considered a wreck because you're not sanctioned under these large governing bodies. And then there's a process that you can go about, go go to or go through in order for your club to transcend from rec to competitive and be sanctioned by these organizations. So to put it in a bow, I would tell the parent, we have a lot of options. We have clinics, we have clubs, there's school ball. Um, there are clubs that are not there that are not sanctioned by um, US soccer or the equivalent of the FA, 
but you can play. But the underwhelming, the underlining thesis is uh, you're going to pay to play, but you have a lot more choice in terms of how much you want to play. You can, you can choose a club that practices four days a week and plays a game on the weekends, or you can do rec where they practice one day a week and play a game on the weekend. So that's basically how it works in the States if you were to come to me and tell me you wanted to play youth soccer. So I want to ask you the same question. I moved to Kampala. I'm ready to roll. I ask you, Emmy, I got a 10-year-old son, and we'll stick with boys for a second, and I'll tell the listeners why in a, in a bit. I have a 10-year-old son, and I say I want them to play. What do you tell me? How do I get started? Okay. Thank you so much for that question. Uh, man, it's, it's really different when I hear what he's saying. And I thank God you people have a lot of options. Uh, I think this is about four or three. I think there are four or three options. Unlike us here, we do not have options like you people. Um, I'll talk about the options that we have, there are only two, probably three if I can talk about the school, if I can talk about the school option as well. But one, if you brought your child here and you want to play soccer, one, we have two types of academies. Let me say academies, soccer groups. The one, one that I'll talk about first, uh, as a person who is coming, for example, from America, you may be having some, some, some dollars with you, and you also want to see something that is decent. Uh, we have two types of academies. One, uh, I would say they are the elite because it's not named elite, but I would call it elite because these are the people who can afford at least something even when it is far cheaper than your recreation. But these are the academies that will at least make you think some people are doing soccer if you came by appearance on the playground. And now, uh, like in Kampala, we have about three of them. We have Edgars, we have Proline, we have Excel. These academies, if you come, they are the academies that I can tell you that you can take the boy here, you can take this girl here. Um, then uh, the difference between them and the other group, the lower group, the low level group, is the payment. Uh, at Edgar's, at Excel, at Proline, when you're coming in, you have to have a registration fee of 200, about 200. Uganda shillings. Uh, that is about that's about sixty dollars. You get a form, you fill in, your kid gets to be enrolled. And uh, now uh, the two hundred is, is too much. I mean, that's a meal for some families for a month. Oh, a meal wow. for some families. <laughs> A month, a full month, I mean, 30 days, you know? Now, you find that you'll get, a, you'll get very few parents who will do away with 200 Ugandan shillings to pay for soccer. 
in fact, you find that there are students who go to school and they are paying as low as $35. And the, the family cannot, cannot afford. I mean, I hope you get the point now. How can this, this type of a family get their child be enrolled in one of those academies when even that little school fees cannot be afforded, cannot be paid at school, you know? So now, that's the difference in the registration now. We find that because this team, this academy has to pay the coaches, uh, the other administrators, they have to put up the weekly fees. That's about $18, $18 to 20 a week. Uh, this is the money that you come with at the beginning of the week. You pass through the desk, you go, you, I mean, you not pass through the desk to go to the training ground before you submit in that, those funds. Uh, so now that's a second payment. Uh, but before you got that second payment, I forgot to talk about the uniform cost. These academies have a uniform that costs, that costs about uh about uh 15 about 15 to 20 it depends on the academy but they're always 15 to 20 dollars a uniform some can even make them 25 if they are new i mean if the quality is good sometimes it will depend it would it would depend on the quality of the uniform so now uh, a uniform that goes up to $30 or 25 I mean, it cannot be afforded by, by the parents of the low class. Uh, I, I run quickly into the inside of my organization when I talk about the uniform. At first, uh, we got a uniform quality that cost us $10 because we wanted to, to move to the better the ground and now to be honest I had to lose a lot of kids because they could have they couldn't afford you know some I tried to donate for free but man I could not do do that all alone so in all right so you were saying about the uniform yes so let me let me recap so it sounds like you have a registration fee you have a weekly practice fee of $18, and you have a, a, a uniform fee of uh, anywhere between $20 and $30, or $15 to $30, maybe as low as $10. Are there any more fees associated with playing with the, with the so-called academy team? Uh, no, not really. Okay, so uh, now you mentioned there was, there was a second uh, group. If you can't play for the academy, you can't afford to play for the academy, then what's the other group? Uh, the low class group, like the one I'm handling. Uh, this, this is the type, a type of academy whereby people come, they will even train without uniforms, they will train without cleats. I mean, some have, some don't have. Uh, the coach, the coach is not, they don't have any qualified person around the group. So it's just out of the passion. Sometimes 
the person could even be knowing or not knowing what he's doing. But as long as he can gather up these kids, they come, they play, they have one, two, three balls, they, they can locate an area where they can run and play, they will come and play. That's okay, the second so, so, let me, so let me try to summarize that then. You went and started a nonprofit to give it a little bit more structure are there other, would you, would you say there are other organizations like yours who are trying to do something similar and you play against each other or is it, are you, are you rather unique in this regard? Uh, I mean, I won't say that there are some, some others who are doing it similar because the way we started is not the way we are now, but now we find there are those who started the way we started and they have not moved from that start. I understand. They are, and, yeah, and those are so many around us. However, they will come and we play games, friendly games, as they are, that as they are, clitless as they are, uniformless as they are. We shall help them with our bibs so that they, we, we, we can make a game, a game, a game environment. So let me but ask you this. So let me ask you this. And then we want to go back to the academy. If a kid is yes. part of one of those lower level teams, for lack of a better term, we'll just say non-academy teams, do they perceive themselves as being part of a team or are they coming and going? So today they play with oh. you, tomorrow they play with someone else. Because, because of attachment and the respect to the leader, let's say the coach, these kids will kind of be committed to that group. But I mean, if another group came in and convinced this boy, you come to our group, we can do this, we shall do this for you, he will go because he has not signed anywhere. Even the parents, sometimes when the parents may not even know where their kids are training from, to whom are they going to. Now, this kid is free to go anywhere, but he will stay committed as long as he has not been it has not been talked to by anyone. Okay. All right. So now let's go back to the academies for a second. You said that there were at least three or four uh, notable ones in Kampala. All right. So yes. I sign my kid up. I pay the registration. I get the uniform. I pay the weekly um, uh, training costs. Couple quick questions. How many days a week am I training and how, how long am I training? And do I play games against other academies? Am I guaranteed games? And what does the coaching look like as well? Like, am I part of a group of the same kids with the same coach or how does all that work? So let's start with how many uh, days a week am I training and how, for how long? Okay, thanks so much. Uh, now this will depend on the school program. If the schools are running, uh, those academies, they train only two days on Saturday and Sunday. And there will not be any games in those days. Now, if we go into the school break, uh, the longest school break that you have is always from December to, uh, to February. Those are about eight weeks. But the, other, the first two school breaks are always three weeks, four weeks. Now, in those school breaks, uh, you train six days a week, 
with a training period of two hours every day. Some can even train, choose to train on Sunday, but most of them will stop on Saturday. If it's a Sunday program, then it could be like they invited another team, they're going to have a friendly game. But basically, Monday to Saturday, it is going to be training for two hours. Wow. Um, so hold on. So let's, yes. so if I divide, so we can divide the training up into two big categories. One is when school is happening and one is when school, when you're on school break. And you're saying when they have school, they train about two days a week and they don't play games, generally speaking. Yes. And then exactly. when school is out, though, you can train as much as six days a week. Yes. Wow. Okay. And within, and within those days, you can you can organize a friendly game with the other academies who are on top who are on the same level i mean like proline will be play will, will play excel excel play uh edigas i mean those, those class it will be very difficult for these lower clubs uh to go and play friendly games for these low academies to go and play a play a game with these academies one first of all they are in the city center, uh, which needs transportation to go there to play them a game. Two, these kids, men, are so dirty that there is no way they are going to be incorporated with this first class. I mean, first class kids. You know, it will be a total mess. I think even these kids will not even accept to play a game with those kids who are looking like that. Okay, so all right, so you you in addition to there being a barrier simply because of the finances, right? There's also a barrier from a just an economic and you know class system that they that the lower teams can't possibly play these um, academy level teams. And let me give you an example, like. That's not like that, but sort of like that. In the UK, I interviewed someone and they said their grassroots uh, teams are allowed at the younger ages to play the, the various academy teams. And that's how the academy teams um, scout grassroots. But you're saying in this case, the class is so different that these kids will, will come off as being unattractive to these clubs in the first place. Because number one, they wouldn't be able to pay the money. And number two, just not having the equipment, being dirty, all that kind of stuff. So, so that's a very interesting, that's a very interesting perspective. Now, in terms of the training environment in the academy, is it will my child join a team and train with that same team in the same age like they do in the States, or is it somewhat different? I, I want to hone in on the details. So just, you're doing a great job, just be as uh, specific. So I get there, they tell me to go to training, what am I going to see? Am I going to be with the same coach in the same age group or something altogether different? Yeah, uh, thanks, thanks once again. Uh, at this level now, uh, with the academies that we are putting inside, uh, the kids will be divided and put into their category. Uh, probably you find that if the, the U11 sometimes can be mixed up with the U12, but you're not going to find the U10 mixed with the U17 and you will be having a specific coach for that handling each, each age group and these people are going to be training on the same day 
same time, they use the same pitch, but they will have demarcation where everyone is operating, but they'll be using the same group, but every group will be having a different coach. All right, so now we talk about the fact that the fees go towards helping um, finance the operations, but are any of the coaches, are the coaches considered full-time employees or do they have other jobs and they um, get paid something or do they volunteer? Yes, uh, coaches, uh, they, don't have, they are not paid on uh, a contract. Uh, they are just paid the day they come. The day you come, you get the allowance. Man, you're not going to expect a monthly pay because the director of the club where he's going to get all that money to finance, to pay for the program, to pay for the, all the coaches, to pay for the other administrators. So what they do is they're only able to pay you the day that you have appeared. All right, so that's interesting. So it's a cash on hand, that's what we call it in the States, cash on hand. The coaches get um, paid uh, something on the day they come. If you don't come, presumably you don't get any work, but there's no monthly stipend. And then that's not, presumably that's not gonna be enough for them to live on. So you would say all the coaches, is this a fair statement? All the coaches do this on a part-time basis, is that fair? It, uh, to be honest, uh, coaches in Uganda, in Ugandan football, are living a survival, survival life, you know? You depend on what you have to live. If you don't have, I mean, you depend on your parents. You go to your dad, your mom gives you something. If you can't, then I don't know. But if you don't appear for training or a session, there's no way you're going to get paid. Oh. So, uh, I mean, so let me throw this at you then. Let me throw this at you and then piggyback on it. But are any of these coaches quote unquote licensed? And if they are, what licenses do you all, do you guys get in Uganda? Okay, uh, a few of them will be having the the D license. That's 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 organized and responsible, uh, put responsible by the governing body. The D license from the D license, you are allowed to handle kids. But now you find that even coaches who are having the C license will go there because at the end of the day he has to be practicing uh, so that he'll be he can be the uh, the next time he has to go for the for the next license he will be accepted. So he has no option to go and work for that money. So your coaching licenses are given out by um which what's the governing body? The the CAF, the Confederation of African Football. Okay, so you have your governing body, and that's right, that gives out those licenses. And some of the coaches will have a uh, D, and even some may even have a. Don't let me mix it up. Some will have a D, and some may even have a C, but they need to get they need to continue to practice with the kids so that they can maintain their license and then go to another one. Okay, so before we wrap up the academy system, let me go through a couple more things. Are there, is, is it a pipeline, as we think about a pipeline in the States, as we think about a pipeline in Europe, to 
a professional uh, contract coming out of those academies? And secondly, are there domestic scouts looking at those uh, kids in order to pluck, pull them out? When I say, sorry, when I say domestic scouts, I'm sorry, scouts that represent your domestic professional league, are they looking to take kids out of that academy and put them in some other training environment for themselves? Or does that just not, not, not exist at all? Uh, to be honest, we don't have such scouts who are going to be working for the clubs we see that there is a boy here, there is a talent here. Uh, what happens, uh, this is a mixture of a lot of things. I mean, sometimes you may think that it's not even soccer, uh, but it is. We don't have scouts who come and say there is a, a kid here, because even the clubs cannot afford to, to pay the scouts, the top clubs cannot afford to pay the scouts. So uh, if it is about the pathway to go to that club, uh, there are some tournaments, for this kid, I mean, if a kid is about 17, uh, he's playing, there is what we call the Masaza tournament. It is played based on the kingdom. There is a kingdom in Uganda, it's called Buganda. So that tournament is one of the tournaments uh, that's played by players above 19, 20, you can even be 23. This is the, the most prominent one that will get you players the professional clubs or the semi-professional clubs. But with the academies, no, except ProLine. Uh, ProLine has a club. They have an academy, but they as well has a club. Uh, this season it was playing in the top league, but it was relegated. Uh, this is the only academy that will promote players from their academy to the senior team, to the top team. No, I understand that. So in the States, uh, it's not, there's only one thing that's similar, which is we have some youth organizations that are not owned or operated by professional clubs. So you can play on the top team, but there's no logical pathway to play on the first professional team for that youth club because they don't have that. So, but it sounds like what you're saying is one club in your area had a professional team which then created a logical pathway to that professional team and they were relegated. So with that being said, you guys have your domestic league, just like EPL, but in Uganda, is that a fair statement? Yes, it's called the Uganda and, Premier League. Okay, so you have the Uganda Premier League, Premier league and, and they don't have, because of the lack of resources, they don't have the scouting system that I would think about in Europe where they're, crawling the entire country trying to find the next Uganda Messi. So the best way they do it is they have these major tournaments. And one tournament you mentioned, well, what was the name of the tournament? Masaza Tournament. Okay, so I'm, not, I'm from the country, so I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. So they, you, they play in this tournament, and that's where those clubs go and try to find the talent. Is that a fair statement? And the kids, exactly. and the kids, which would then be almost young adults when they start getting into that age, they know that. They know they go there and play their hardest. Is that a fair statement? Exactly. As they are playing in school, when they see now they are getting 17, 18, they're all getting ready to feature in the Masaza tournament so that they can have 
a catch of different club scouts. Okay, so now I'm let's pick it. So let's pick it. So let's piggyback, let's take a step back. So we left the academy and I'll just tell you, yeah. I don't have the money to pay for the academy or I'm not gonna do that, sorry. Now, let's assume that you see my child and I don't wanna go down a rabbit hole on this one, uh, Emmy, but I just wanna definitely tee it up. You see my child and my child is lights out. My child is Messi, Ronaldo, um, Everybody, Christian Pulisic put together, okay? The best footballer yeah. you've ever seen. But my child has no money. My child has no money. We have no money. Will those academies ever say, uh, will you just come and play with us for free? So that, because we want to win, <laughs> we want you to get scouted. Is that ever happen? No, it will not happen. They will okay. exactly look at... Okay, so it's purely pay-to-play. They'll look at someone who's going to be able to pay for their uniform, for their registration, and being able to pay the weekly charges. So okay. you won't get a thing like that. All right, that makes sense. So in the States, we have scholarship programs for our pay-to-play. So if you're, it is not really just based on your ability on skill level, but it's on your ability to pay. But, and there's a huge but, oh. and there's a huge but there. It's not as uh, systematic as, and as easy as, oh, I can't pay, the club is gonna let you pay for free. Because it's not really marketed, a lot of parents don't know about it, there's a lot of cultural stuff going on. So what ends up happening is, what our pay to play system is typically a barrier for uh, those people who can't pay. But if you move to the States and you had zero money or you couldn't pay, my advice would be look into scholarship programs offered by those clubs. And you're effectively saying that, no, that doesn't exist. Okay. Now, the way we think about school soccer is, again, it's a team organized by the schools. Do y'all have the same thing uh, in Uganda? We talked about the club at the academy level. We talked about the non-academy where it's more like non-profits and a lot more informal but in between that do the local schools organize teams at all yeah thanks very much uh Neil, to remind you something you asked something about the financial system and i was i was about to tell you something different what that happens with the money on the big clubs they also have a system of traveling to europe tournaments Dubai to America. And now the kids that are traveling, I'm talking about these top academies, like those three or four. They always have programs of traveling, but the programs of traveling is only based on accumulating money so that they can they can keep moving the program or build some good houses or have make some good cars. But I mean they won't let they won't it's not about the talented one traveling. It will be about the one who can pay traveling. So now, uh, going back to the question of schools, yes, we have schools. We have schools, we have football in schools, and it is one of the best pathways a kid can be developed. Because if you cannot afford at the academy, if you cannot afford uh, at this top academy, at least if a school has a program of soccer, whether it's a lower 
school or the high schools or the colleges, as long as you can afford a cleat, you have to be put in this team. And the schools even go to an extent of giving players scholarships and you're not going to pay anything in this regard. Because of your talent, uh, you'll be given, you'll be admitted into the school, you, you'll study, you will play. Uh, uh, but this is an advertisement part of the school. So you are a worker to this school by the fact that you've been offered this scholarship. In this scholarship, you not pay anything apart from the books, you get the uniform, Uh, some schools will be able to put you in a ball, but at least we have this football in the school for both the lower grades and the high grades. Okay, and so hold on. Let me let me try to unpack that and put it in a way that uh, my definitely my American listeners will have a better appreciation. So in the States, you go to school as a yes. separate sort of exercise. And then they make an announcement and say, if you are, they send a letter to your parents saying, if you want to play on the middle school soccer team on Tuesday, stay after, and we're going to have a tryout. And if you make that team, then there will be some fees associated with it. But um, now you're on the team. And some people will make it and some people won't. And you may practice every day after school and you will have a game on the weekend and the seasons will be about eight weeks. But is that using that sort of um, description, how does it work in Ugandan schools trying to repeat what you said, basically? Do they, they join a school and then the school says, for those who want to play soccer, we have this uh, soccer program? Okay, uh, it won't be done like that. First, the schools, what they do, because I just say that they are using this as an advertisement opportunity, that my school is playing football, you know I mean? My school is playing soccer, we are known for sports, we are known for winning this. So what they will do is, they will employ a coach first. They will get a coach first. And now, this coach knows players. Now this coach will try to contact other coaches and bring in players who are going to be suiting the program. So. If you don't come on this program as a footballer, as a soccer player, your chances of playing to the school team are minimal because now we are looking at soccer players as people who can't afford school fees, who can't afford to pay school fees. And the only way to pay their school fees is their talent. Now, you're going to be uh, scouted. You're going to be go to wherever you are. It could even be a very distant place as long as the coach has connections there and boom, you're going to be brought into the school system. You start studying the whole year. You start, in, you start training the whole year. Because uh, when it comes to school football at the high schools, we play the first time, that's from February to June. The second time, there is another tournament. The only time when there is no tournament to play in schools is uh, from September to, to December, because now this is a promotion time. You have to go to another level of class, another grade, 
uh, they'll kind of create a conducive environment for you to concentrate in books so that you get to study and catch up with other students in class so that you can go to the another to, into another grade okay so i got it i think i got it so the difference is being they recruit you as a soccer player in order to get you to the school yes. and yes. we're going to talk about the different ages but one and this is the part i didn't get though but i can picture that you know how our universities do that so our universities will yes. find they will hire a big time coach and they will tell the coach go out there and recruit the best kids to come to our school and we're going to create a great program, whether it's soccer, basketball, whatever, especially in American football, for those kids to attract them. I got that part. But those kids that they attract, do they have to pay school fees or that's when they're on scholarship? They won't pay school fees. Okay, that's so now they, so then what does, does the, hold on, though, let me, let me just, so does the school get anything out of those children's families or is that just used to make the school attract other kids? They don't get anything. That's their work exactly, just to attract other kids to come in the school, period. Okay. Now, does that work at the younger ages? Let's say I have a 10-year-old and, and I want them. So let me, again, in America, if I have a 10-year-old and I want them to play school soccer, my answer to you is going to be, well, they don't start that young. They only start for us in middle school, unless it's like a private school situation. And your, um, if I have a 10-year-old, do they start school soccer really young like that too? Yeah, there are schools, but these are very few schools that would want to use sports as a way of accumulating other kids. So they do that from age 10, uh, sometimes from even 9, 10, 11, 12. Okay. By that All time, right. you, are ex yeah, you are expected to be out of this level and you're going to the high school. Okay. So we got that. So if you're just listening, let's recalibrate. This is Neil Crawford. I'm, I'm speaking to Emmy Grace with the Divine Athletic, non -athletic Nonprofit in Uganda, Kampala, Uganda. Okay. This is the inside scoop and we're learning about the soccer pathways in Uganda. It's been a wonderful show. And Emmy, I've asked you to dig deep and you're very knowledgeable. I really appreciate the knowledge that you're sharing with our listeners. One of the reasons why I created this show is because oftentimes with platforms like this, uh, people talk about uh, their situations or talk about their industries in general. And I've always left thinking, man, no, no, no. I really want to know what the real deal is. I want to lift the hood up and know exactly, if I move there, exactly what would happen. And so to recalibrate, if I moved to Uganda and I had a 10-year-old, if I understand correctly, you're going to say, hey, there's three main things, pathways. If you got money, you can play in the academies and you have these fees associated with it. You, you will likely play games. You're going to be coached by maybe a licensed coach or not a licensed coach. But those games you can't really guarantee um, you're going to get some but there's no set schedule the way they are in america on the other end of the spectrum if you don't have any resources they're nonprofits like yours and other we'll say village or community teams that prop up and you guys play each other and it's relatively informal uh, it's almost like come as you are and then in between that you do have school teams and sort of like our ncaa in college 
um, those school teams actually hire some, uh, coaches and then those rec coaches recruit kids to the schools and it's sort of a win-win. The school gets higher enrollment and the kids get an opportunity to learn, but an opportunity to play their sport. So, and we've established that the biggest barrier to entry is finances, but not in the way that we think about pay to play finances where I can't afford this luxury for my child. No, 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 no. We are barely surviving. And this is not even something that as a family we're going to consider. And that's where organizations like yours have come in. Okay, and then we yeah. talked about we talked about the professional route and how does a child go from um, being a um, you know these academies to professionals? Well, they're not these scouts that swoop around looking for these kids because they just don't have the infrastructure and the finances to do that. So what they do to uh, compromise is they have these major tournaments and the kids understand what these are all about, and that's where the clubs come and uh, look for kids. So. There is no um, signing. And, you know, in European academies, you hear that, you know, U12 kids sign with Manchester United, so-and-so sign with Man City. Is there anything like that in, in your professional clubs? No, 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 no. It's kind of, it's, it's, don't even think about that. <laughs> so, no, and that's fine. And, if, and for our folks listening, you can't see Emmy just um, laughing at me like uh because i'm asking all these questions but that's the purpose of the show the purpose of the show is to ask the question and just find out you know you know am i on the same planet now a couple more things you know in uh, in america and in latin america there's been a big talk about futsal you know oh you got to get your kid involved in futsal you got to get them involved in futsal and you know are you familiar with futsal F U T S A L. I know futsal. We have it. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask. Do you have it? And if you do, describe, you know, if you're, again, I just moved there and I said, I want my child to play in futsal. Describe what you would tell me. Oh, there's no futsal for kids here. The futsal is for the adults and it's for the people, how do you call it? Playing just for leisure. Hmm. So we don't have food. We don't have food so for kids in Uganda. We just okay. have the top league and those who are playing for fun. You know, they're playing now. The for ones fun, that play for fun are they on these official indoor futsal courts, or is it still considered outside? No, they play in the in the courts, and in fact, there are very few courts around. Very few courts. I don't. Not more than. Not more than seven in the whole country. Oh, wow. Okay. And they play for leisure. And is there a professional futsal league? Uh, if you use the word professional, it would be too big, but yes. there is a league, which is not professional. Okay. Now. Um, yeah, and there is a team. I have a team that I'm coaching in the futsal league. But you oh, so you, some... you, hold on, let me clarify. So you coach an adult futsal league. Yes, it's a top it's in the top league. Okay. And how are you guys doing this season then? Oh well with COVID, is that does that disrupt? No, no, no. By the time the by the time the league was suspended due to the coronavirus, we are second place. 
Oh, okay. Congrats. Okay, because there's a lot of talk. So just for my listeners, I mentioned this a couple of times, and for you, Emmy, my wife happens to be Ethiopian, okay? And so a lot of times when I talk to people on the uh, blogosphere and social media about the role of futsal, I'm like, listen, anytime you can touch the ball, and this is an aside, folks, anytime you can touch the ball, that's a good thing. But, you know, I don't like to generalize an entire nation. And I know my Ethiopian listeners are going to be like, what? But I always say, you know, you could drop a futsal court in the middle of the village and the people will be like, what is that? So my point is, I don't think you need any particular. So why am I saying all this? I actually don't think you need any particular type of soccer to develop and get better. You really just need the opportunity. You need to drive and you need your foot on the ball. But that's just my two cents. So that's why I wanted to understand, you know, what what futsal, um, because if you listen to Americans, they act like if you're not playing futsal, then, you know, you'll, your child will never develop. And I'm like, this, mm, I don't know about that, you know. So that's my, that's my soapbox as an aside. Okay. I hear that as well. Yes. All right. So, so we're, hey, we're nearing the end of the show. And I'm going to um, ask a couple more quick questions. And then we'll let you wrap it up, Emmy, to tell us a little bit more about your organization and how people can find you. And then, like I said in the beginning, we're, or at least during the pre-interview, we're gonna do a special segment of the Inside Scoop called Spotlight. And that's where we're gonna spend the entire time talking about your organization, the good work you're doing, and learning more about the challenges that you face so that we can help you. So I always feel bad when I bring great guests on like you and I don't give them enough time to talk about the good work they're doing, but this just because this format is just learning and educating our guests about the youth soccer in, um, in Uganda, in your, in your case, and then we can use this information to then help us become more of a partner instead of just uh, on the sidelines. Now, Another thing that comes up all the time is what we call in the States sports, early sports specialization. I'm using my air quotes, early sports specialization, where we have a potential problem where we're asking our children at a very young age to specialize in one sport. Because in America, you know, we have very popular like basketball, other popular sports like basketball, football, baseball, these kinds of things. From what you see on the ground in Uganda, and you can even think about your own childhood for that re- in that regard, are kids playing different sports? Is there any intentionality about playing different sports? Are the parents thinking about this at all, or is it just something, whatever? Or, or what's happening on the ground in Uganda? Oh, my God. Thank you so much. Uh, first of all, look at this. If... Uh, a family will not even afford a cleat, a cleat of about $10 used from the market. How is this parent even going to think about another game for the kid to play? Because look, we don't even have basketball courts nearby. We don't have, we don't have food so anywhere close. I mean, even the, the most close, that's the soccer, cannot be afforded. Now, how do you expect people to be playing other games? So to answer you back, 
we don't have such a thing here. If you want to play basketball, that's also for the high class family, very high class. Because now, man, look, affording just a, a shoe that you're going to use for basket is like five times <laughs> the price of a cleat. Now, how are you going to even be able to, to, to play another game? I mean, the cheapest, the cheapest game, the cheapest sport would be soccer. But now I'm telling you that people cannot even afford it. Unexpectedly, we shall have to do it as as volunteering, you know. Now we don't have we don't have that much facility for basketball. We don't have that much facility for volleyball. We don't have facilities for any other game. What have you? We don't even know about American football. We just sit on TV. Those who have TVs, because men don't have TVs. Um, which other game? I mean, I don't even think about other games. So so okay. Which again was my argument, but the only thing that I would caveat in terms of early sports specialization in America and where we're getting it wrong is we are putting our children in a lot of what I would call structured training, right? Where they are doing a lot of the same moves repetitively, very structured. So we've talked about the structured training opportunities and soccer pathways from a structured environment in Uganda. But if my child was to go there, right, and, yes. you know, and I'll use myself as an example, and, you know, the kids spend one hour outside and 10 hours playing Fortnite, hopefully that's an extreme example. When, if he steps his foot into Uganda and Kampala, how much soccer is he going to be, is he going to see being played freely outside of a structured environment? Like, is his buddies going to come to him and say, let's go out and play? Or what is he going to see? <laughs> Thanks. If he, wants, if he wants to play, he'll definitely find his neighbors around. They'll find a dirty, a dusty playground, and they put their balls there, and they play. That's the only way. And do they play like all the – is it culturally, like, not unusual to see kids just playing all the time? Uh, it's not it's not unusual seeing kids playing all the time. All right. So guys, thank you so much, Emmy. We're gonna wrap up the inside scoop. And I want you to again to tell us about the name of your organization. I want you to say it slowly so that we can find it on Facebook or on Google. And then we're gonna link yeah. information in the show notes. One thing I didn't get is how many kids are in your program in the ages as well. I, I did get that it was founded in 2015 by Emmy Grace. So what's the name of the, uh, your, your nonprofit again? Uh, it's called Divine Athletic Sports Academy. Okay, Divine Athletic Sports Academy. And how many kids are you serving at the moment? Yeah, at the moment, uh, to be honest, you, I will not have a very specific number because you, uh, like for the other school break, you'll have 80 kids, 70 kids reporting. The next one, you'll have 90 kids reporting. Some will report, you give them days for the school because in a school that we are training from, uh, if you bring in a new kid who doesn't have a uniform, they'll give you a few days, like a week, if this kid doesn't have a uniform, we don't want to see him in the school compound. Now, 
uh, you will begin with about 90 kids and you finish with about 65 or 70 because the others have, have not been able to come back. They don't have a uniform. Oh, so, uh, but basically, when I, look, when I look into my records, we are always operating between 70, 80 to 85 kids, all age groups. We have U8, U12, U14, and U17, 18. And Emmy, the last question on this. Um, um, God, I can't remember what we used to. Oh, are you familiar with the concept of a vision board? A vision board. I think I think Oprah made vision boards popular, famous, but they've been around forever. And a vision board basically says you put out you 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 plot images of what you want your organization or your life or whatever you want it to be in the future, and you effectively claim the victory. So, if you could wave a magic wand and your nonprofit was doing the work that you envision it doing and being able to do it, what would we see? Like, in, let's say 10 years, what am I going to see? What is the ideal, perfect situation for your nonprofit? Oh, this is a great question. Uh, my idea is I want, to, I want to make some of these players, professional players, and the reason why I said to move on to a grass pitch because I knew I was going to get a little bit organized, a little bit respected, a little bit serious, because my vision is I want to see these kids making it to professional play in Europe, play in America, so that they can one day be able to support their parents, support their poor communities where they come from. Basically, that is my vision. That's why I make sure these kids, they go to school. Every kid that I coach, I make sure they go to school. I, they, so that they can get that opportunity to learn English, to learn mathematics, so that in the future they can be professional. My sole aim is to make these players professional. They could be professional players. I'm even planning to make referee classes because, man, I want these kids to be something, to be something in the future. All right, I think we I think we're going to leave it on that. And I really was inspired by that, Emmy. So, for those, thank you for listening to the Inside Scoop. This is an Inside Scoop brought to you by Anytime Soccer Training. My name is Neil Crawford. If you have not collected the 50 free ball mastery and juggling videos to help your child get better, I encourage you to do so at www.anytime-soccer.com. Thank you for listening to another wonderful edition of the Inside Scoop. Thank you.